window, but maybe somewhere between a squirrel suit and, uh, uh, and, and jumping out. But I want to talk about living on the edge today. And we're in this series, right, of, of me, myself, and God. Uh, and uh, that's, we're talking about ourselves and loving ourselves. But I want to propose to you that um, loving ourselves may be best expressed in how we risk and how we roll in living on the edge. Now, I'm not going to take you into uh, like the deeper, uh, the deep end of psychological stuff on how to love yourself better. There's some messages coming up about that. But I want to propose to you that living on the edge and a life of risk may be one of the very best expressions of loving yourself. And let's see, this whole thing's about this vision of loving God and loving people. That comes from the Shema. You ought to hear that from us all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been talking about this for a couple years, uh, right, this vision, and we thought, well, gosh, we ought to jump into this yourself part a little bit, because uh, if that's not uh, uh, healthy and vital, then maybe the whole thing breaks down. And so um, I want to propose that uh, uh, living on the edge may be a very important thing no matter where you are on the spectrum right there. And so from the scripture, now five years ago, by the way, uh, how many were here and saw that five years ago, five and a half years ago? Okay, that's why we did it again, because it's like my favorite illustration of all time that I've come up with. Oh my gosh, going through, putting a squirrel suit on and going through that hole uh, like that. And uh, we played it five years ago, and I just found out that it, Cam, raise your hand up. Cam's back there doing the lights. Cam was in that sermon five years ago, and he didn't say the sermon, by the way. You know, I mean, he, was, he said this morning, he said, those video clips, I, I kind of was hoping he'd say the sermon that you gave, but those video clips, I, I left, uh, how'd you put it? And I, I decided to take the risk and ask this gal out that uh, he, he wanted to go for a date with, and he is married to her now. Woo! <laughs> Taking the risk, living on the edge. Man, that could be a big way to live on the edge, I think. Thanks for sharing that with me. That was pretty fun. Well, I, I, five and a half years ago, we did this because I wanted to implant in uh, our thinking, uh, it was called the Faith of Leap is what we were doing in that series back then, um, to plant in our culture uh, an element of risk. And so from this scripture right here, I want to show you how I think this applies. Uh, this is Luke 19, the parable of the ten minas. And uh, I thought about naming this uh, sermon the minas touch. I actually thought it was funnier than that when I came up with it. But then that's why I didn't name it that, because I wasn't sure how that would go over. Instead of the Midas touch, you know. Um, but the Minas, and, and Daniel has uh, done this sermon several times uh, too. I just think it's such an important thing. Let me read it to you. And then we'll see what it has to do with uh, loving ourselves and living on the edge. Uh, while they were listening to this, this stuff about Zacchaeus, um, he, he, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. By the way, uh, when Jesus is doing a parable, there's, there are multiple different kinds of people in the audience every time. And Jesus is usually talking so that his parable lands at all of those levels. It's incre- crazy brilliant 
how he does this. That part right there is speaking to the religious people who are listening to him. And uh, in fact, they're going to be rejecting him as the king and Messiah. Um, so maybe they'll get that later. I don't know. And think about it uh, later. Um, I wanted you to get that because we're not talking about that level so much today. I wanted you to get that. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. And the second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I kept it and laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man and you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. And um, uh, I'll stop right there. Okay, so a few things about this parable that I think even have to do with what we're talking about today is, first of all, why did he tell it? It says, throw up verse uh, 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, meaning near coming to the end of the journey. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. That's why he's telling this parable. And what you get from this parable is going to be really important to understand how the kingdom of God works. They all thought uh, that when the Messiah shows up, he initiates his kingdom, boom, it starts off, and, uh, and now he reigns on earth, and that's how it works, right? And you, you and I are sitting here 2,000 years later, and we understand it a little differently. And we talk about the kingdom all the time, don't we? Uh, it should be language in, in the orchard culture all the time, the kingdom, because we want to be a kingdom church. Uh, so the kingdom is really important. And we pray about that. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You pray that all the time, right? I mean, you know that one. Well, what's, what are you praying? You're praying what Jesus is initiating here. By showing up, he's bringing the kingdom. And it doesn't show up all at once like they thought. You're praying that it will when you pray that prayer. That up there, or maybe it's alternate to the side, I don't know, we always go up for heaven, I'm not sure, but it's probably more all around, that there where your will is done would happen here. That's really important, isn't it? We pray for that and we hope that happens. Well, from this parable, you can get some insight into maybe how that works and why that's important. Look at what it says. So, uh, a man from noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king and then returned. We know that's Jesus, right? So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Now, uh, a mina, by the way, is a, a coin that is worth uh, about a quarter of a year's income for an average agri- agricultural worker. When you heard mina, ooh, that's a lot of money. That's a big denomination of, of, of money. And I'm not sure uh, whether each one of the ten got one or each of the one got ten. If it's ten, it's two and a half years worth of income. But it's a lot of money. And uh, uh, he gives that money to each one of these servants. Now this, by the way, is a little different than the talents. Okay, The talent parable, um, they're, they're not interchangeable. He's telling, teaching something different in the talent parable. He's talking, I gave this person this, and I gave this person that. 
and this person has those gifts, and this person has those talents, and you should use those. This is the talent parable. You should use those up to your potential. Live up to what God has given you to your potential. Interesting about this is each one of these servants got the same thing. They all got the same amount. Now the question is going to be, what do you do with that? So just start making the application. That's what you're supposed to be doing when you're listening to a parable. These servants, these servants here today all got a mina. I don't know what we call it today, uh, but they all got something from God, and it's the same thing. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it? Now it's, it indicates a little bit of it. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now, when you hear that, if you're in uh, the United States and you hear that, you get this picture of investing that money and taking that money and putting it to work. My money's working for me. I'm working over here. My money's working over here. And I'm going to call my broker and I'm going to take X amount of money, a mina or $10,000 or something like that. Uh, the average person in the valley is making $60,000, right? So I'm going to take $15,000 and I'm going to put it in. Uh, give it to my broker, and he's going to put it in some funds or some stocks, or I'm going to put it in E-Trade and do my own uh, index fund or whatever that is, and then it's going to passively work. Hopefully the market's going to be good to it. They're going to pay some dividends, and it's going to passively increase while I go and do my thing. That's not the way to understand what this is right here. This word here, look, it says, put this money to work, and I had to bring notes because I couldn't pronounce the word. Uh, the word is pragmatomia. You can do that with your friends and family around dinner, and they'll be impressed. Pragnatomia. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, you can hear even in it the word pragma, pragmatic, which is where we get this word, uh, where we get uh, practically speaking or practical pragmatic. This is not a passive thing. This is actively with vigor. It literally means with vigor. And um, let me capture the other word. Um, to be occupied with. That's what I missed last time. To be occupied with. You're to take your time and your energy with this thing that the, the, is given to you as a servant and do something with it. And I wanted to differentiate this because this is not passive. This is what you're giving your time and your attention and your effort to and your best thinking. In this parable, that's what it is. And each one of these guys were given something right there. What are you supposed to do with it? Well, what are you supposed to do with it? Inherently in this is an element of risk. You're to take the capital that you've been given and put it at risk. Well, what's, what's at risk? Well, if this isn't just putting it away and letting something happen with it, this is something that I'm going to do with it. It may or it may not work out. It's, there's not certainty for sure. Matter of fact, isn't it interesting that one guy did one thing with it and another guy did another thing with it and another guy didn't do anything with it and each one of them got a different result. It's really interesting. You're to take, according to the parable, what, and you can make the application easily, what God has given you and he's given everyone the same thing, one life to live, one life to give, one life to say yes with, and one person does it this way, and another person does it that way. And how do they do it? Well, I guess they do it according to what they were thinking. Because he, the, the servant didn't tell him what to do with it. 
He didn't say, this is the formula of how you get a good return. He said, use your ability, use your courage, use your best thinking, and, and do something with it. That's interesting. That's, that's, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. And when, and when you do, I guess to the level of risk that you take will be the, re, the response or the return on that. Because this one guy, he takes his mina or his ten minas and turns it into another ten. Interesting, isn't it? So here's what you know about the kingdom. If the kingdom doesn't come all at once, then how does it come? Does it come all at once later? No, Jesus is initiating the kingdom. And he dies on the cross so that his servants could be in the kingdom. And then what the, king, what the, what the servants do, bring about the kingdom and it unfolds. The kingdom is a progressive thing that's supposed to happen. It's because of why? Because his people took risks out and about in the world, engaging in it, and heaven comes into those places. That's what actually will happen when somebody spends what they've been given in light of the kingdom. Now, think about this, okay? God, I mean, sometimes I think about, I think about God quite a bit, actually. In my line of work, you kind of think about him. And uh, oftentimes I think, you, this was your plan? You came up with this? I mean, I, and I'm thinking, I mean, arrogantly, I'm kind of thinking I'd come up with a better one because why would I give the kingdom or the keys to the kingdom to people who get to decide whether this happens or not, whether this unfolds or not, whether people will have the courage to risk or not, to go there and say this or step into this situation or give that or uh, the, the courage, oh my, how much courage does it take to take an inside look and let it, and be transformed? Huge courage there. Do you love yourself enough to do that? Why would God turn over the keys like this to a bunch of boneheads like us? Uh, it's his best plan. It's not plan B. This is actually how it was supposed to go. This is called the Missio Dei. Uh, that's a Latin term for the mission of God, the missionary God who came to try and reach people. Plan A is that he'll do that by people who will, just like he risked it, risk and bring about the kingdom. That's interesting, isn't it? It all kind of rests on these servants here. And, uh, and it unfolds like that. See, the kingdom is and is not yet. Anywhere where you are living out the invisible kingdom in a tangible, visible way by how you relate and move in relationship with people and the things that you do, the kingdom starts to go up. And even something that feels little here turns into something big. Apparently that's the case because this guy, uh, number one guy here, who takes um, his mina and turns it into ten more, what does he get? He gets 10 cities. Wow! That was a pretty good investment. Uh, and how do I know he gets 10 cities? Well, it says you get 10 cities. And here's something interesting. Because it says here later, you know, this guy who hides it in the closet, doesn't do anything with it. Uh, in verse 24, 
It says, then he said to those standing by, take his mine away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. That wouldn't be fair, would it? That's what they're saying. That wouldn't be fair. He says, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even that will be taken away from him. Interesting. You're going to give him uh, another mina that's added to his ten. And what's going to happen? Oh, you know, he's going to do the same thing he did. And that 10 is going to turn into 20 or 100. And then it's going to turn into a city. And then it's going to turn into 10 cities. In the parable, when you start pulling it apart, you can see that the kingdom is going to unfold. I'm going to give you 10 cities. You keep doing what you're doing. And here's where that goes. Because I, if, if I can trust you with this, I can trust you with that. And let's do that. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, you did five. That's awesome. I'll entrust you with five. When? Well, work it out. Work it out. Go back. Think it through. Let's pray about that. How about? Let's do like a bold prayer. And something really huge. Okay, Lord, I heard this 10 city thing. What do you want me to do next? Perfect question. Perfect question. Okay, you're sitting there and you're going, everybody in the room here, by the way, I hope you made the connection. Now, all the servants in the house right here. He gave you a mina. He gave you one life. What are you going to do with it? The risk is to be relational with it. Everything's relational. That's what the core of our vision is. I always point to the signs, you know, of God and love people. Everything's relational. And it's huge risk to step into relationship, isn't it? It's huge risk to step into somebody's uh, problems or, or, or their, uh, their challenges or even your own. It's all relational. And to take a huge risk like that is really, really difficult. What's the opposite? Well, here's this guy who, this, this uh, uh, third guy, uh, in verse 20. Then the, the, another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it and laid, away in a, laid it away in a piece of cloth. And I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Here's this guy who goes, you know what, this is too hard. You're a hard man. I can't live up to it. I'm not going to, I don't know if I can make this risk happen, take this risk, live on the edge enough. And so I'm going to hide it. And then when you come back, I'll give it to you and nothing gained, nothing lost, right? Here you go. See, I've got it. Maybe you pull it out of the closet. Everyone shows the kids, look how valuable this thing is that he gave me. So neat. But uh, uh, there's something really wrong with that isn't there? There's something really wrong with that. Is he just disappointed because this guy didn't do it? Oh, I think, I think it's opportunity cost. What did not happen because you were given this mina and you put it in the closet and, and, and didn't risk it? Didn't take uh, uh, any, any chances? Didn't have to operate with any faith? Apparently, the kingdom didn't happen right there. See, even a small thing God will use for a big thing. Even if you've been faithful with a little, he'll give you a ton. But this guy right here said, you know what? I, get, I hear the deal. Okay, the deal is you gave me this one mina, this one, this one life uh, to give. And you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to save that, and I'm going to do, uh, here, I'm going to give you a deal back. I'm going to keep it so we don't lose it, but because I like my salvation, and I like that, but uh, 
uh, I'm going to be able to give it back because you're a hard man. You know, he's not a hard man. He said that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. I got that backwards, but that it's easy. And, uh, but it is a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, how many of us, when we decided to be a Jesus follower, went, you know what? This is going to be a life of risk and adventure and challenge, and, and it could be difficult. I mean, not many of us. Most of us were kind of going, what can we get from this? Not what be required. And I have people all the time, by the way, come to the orchard, and they come for a while, and uh, then they just fade. Sometimes we'll be able to track them down, and we'll see them in the store or whatever. Hey, what happened? You know, I got bored. I got, you got bored at the orchard? It's like, have you listened to Daniel preach? He's the best preacher around. The music is great. Am I talking to a bunch of bored people right now, by the way? Well, I can see how it could happen if that's the deal. If that's the deal, is I come, I get, and uh, nothing's required of me. Well, first of all, there's no life in that. There's no adventure in that. There's no challenge in that. Man, that's sort of a migration or uh, sort of grazing your way into something mediocre until finally you just find out that I kind of lost the reason for this. Happens to people all the time. Instead of finding out that following Jesus means you might have to go with Jesus. Like Blackaby said, Henry Blackaby said, you can't stay where you are and follow Jesus because he's actually going somewhere. Where's he going? He's going into all these risky places. He messes with you. He says, I'd like to be there. How about you go there? I'd like to be in this. How about you go there? I mean, somewhere we lost the connection and we made a deal with God instead of recognizing that this is a call into a life of vitality, a life of risk, uh, a life of challenge, a life of faith. You know, I was just listening to a book. As you get older, you start listening more than you start reading, I noticed. And I was listening to an audio book, and uh, uh, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind, I think. I don't know if you've heard that one. But it's actually about how, uh, uh, in colleges especially, at, a, at this place we're at right now, that generation can't handle or shouldn't be exposed to difficult and opposing ideas. So all of these uh, uh, speakers that come in for debate, some of them are being disinvited. You've, you've seen this, you've heard this news, they're not being allowed to come in because it could be harmful for uh, the students to hear something very conservative or something very liberal. And I thought that's why you went to college. So that you would actually be challenged in what you think. Do you know you're not as fragile as you think? Do you know they're not as fragile? They actually are setting up safe rooms, safe places in colleges, so the students can go and be safe from ideas. And, and I read about this, or listened to it, and uh, they have a screen with puppies on it. Oh, who doesn't want a puppy? I feel safe with a puppy. Well, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, we live in that kind of day right now. But I was interpreting it through, uh, what does it mean for us? You know, um, I think Christianity has co-opted that huge. We want to provide a safe place for you. A place where you can explore. A place where you don't hear anything tough. And um, we've kind of created a Christian safetyism. That's what they call the safetyism. Look at how we treat kids right now, right? We, we try and protect them so much uh, that, in fact, 
we've given them diseases because we've protected them so much. Their immune systems have gotten weaker. What about our spiritual immune system? If Christianity is about being safe, then if it's, if it's about no risk, then it's really not about any faith. What do you need faith for? What do you, if, 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 honestly, if you have Christianity without risk, I think you have Christianity without Christ. Because he automatically leads us in to those inner places that are tough and those external places that are tough. We should be, as Jesus followers, ready to go, I don't know how it's going to go, Lord, but I'll step into it. I'll put my squirrel suit on or I'll step out of my window and I'll jump in and I'll see without knowing what happens, without knowing and uh, not having any kind of certainty. That's what he calls us into. Now, here's a guy who says it's too hard. That's too hard. I, my life, the rest of my life's already too hard. The last thing I need is something hard. Uh, I, think, I think actually that's where you feel alive. Do you feel alive in your Christian life right now? Do you feel kind of perfect? Here's your opportunity. Love yourself enough to step out. Do you know what it actually might even be an expression of how much you love yourself? If you're just trying to sit around and uh, uh, drink drinks with little umbrellas in them and relax because everything's so tense, you might be missing this thing. You might be missing this idea because he calls us into some, an adventure. He calls you not just the person next to you who's really adventurous who will put on a squirrel suit. He calls you into relationship. And relationships are risky. Everything is relational. It's risky business. Matter of fact, I think we're in the risk business. And you can't really follow Jesus without following, into, following him into something like that. Now my favorite, I, oh God told me I could use notes today. My favorite poem of all time is D.H. Lawrence, and so I've got to read it to you. But I'd love, I've, and I, you know, I would, do, I would do every sermon with this if I could, and I, you already heard it like a number of times. That's why I'm going to do it again. When we get D.H. Lawrence called Escape, when we get out of the glass bottles of our ego, thinking about us all the time, it's all about me. And when we escape like squirrels turning in the cages of our personality, oh, I'm just this way. That's how I am. And we get into the forest again and we'll shiver with cold and fright. But things will happen to us so we don't even know ourselves. Did you know that you are a risk taker? You actually are. Now we're different in our personalities related to that, but you actually are. God sees you that way. Matter of fact, he's, he may see you uh, uh, in a lot more strength than you see you. You may be a lot bigger deal than you see you. Did you know that? And when we, when we find, when we step out into something that's dangerous a little bit, a little bit of adventure where you don't actually know, you may find that you're not who you thought you were. You're more than you thought. Wow. Matter of fact, we were not created to be fragile. We're not fragile people. You're not fragile. Your kids aren't fragile. You're a lot stronger than you think. And you serve a God, you're one of the servants who's given you a life who's going to test you out so that you can be more than you are. Oh, that's good news. That's pretty good news that, uh, that you're not fragile. You may, 
I mean, you, and when you feel yourself acting fragile, just go, what am I doing? Get a picture of a squirrel suit, go look at it and go, spiritually, I'm putting this on right now. We find that we're somebody different. We're more. And then cool, unlying life will rush in. And passion will make our bodies taut with power. And we shall stamp our feet with new power. When I hear that, I'm like, stamp our feet with new power, yeah! <laughs> That's what we should be doing right now, because when it says right here, it says, and old things will fall down, and we shall laugh. We'll tell stories. This is what goes on. This is what we did. You know what we did? You know, I was over here, and I saw this, and I stepped into it. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I was scared to death, actually, that they're going to think I'm a jerk or I'm a, a serious dork or something. But I said it anyway, and I did it. And you feel the power of it because you're on a journey. We've been out and about. Yes or, or no? Yeah. And it says, and the old things, like the old institutions will burn up like paper and all that stuff that encumbered us because out here is where life is. This is where it, where, where it really is. That is the call of a Jesus follower. Not just the really smart ones or just the really uh, young ones. Every single one of you. You. Now you should be going right now. Uh, <laughs> what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Put up, uh, put up the message. Um, this last verse from here. I love this. He said, that's what I mean. Risk your life. And get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe. And end up holding the bag. The kingdom moves forward because people will risk it. You move forward because you'll risk it. I don't know what it means for you to risk it, but I think we need to practice uh, risk. Put it as a part of your life. Make it, make it something that you do. You do that physically, don't you? I mean, when you guys are, there's a younger crowd than the, the 830, but uh, when you get older, you start getting risk adverse. It gets harder, doesn't it? The older you get, the harder it is. To, I'm talking physically, like, you know, uh, 10 years ago, when I was 47, uh, Henry and I got, Henry's my son. We got dirt bikes. And I thought, I got, I got this old one, uh, this old big heavy one, and I was old and big and heavy. And uh, it would carry me around a 600, big monster thing. And, and I was just trying to keep up. And I was pretty fast back in the day when I was young, but he like rips and I can't. Well, he had to sell his, his bike to go to college, which was good. Um, but uh, I kept mine because it's not worth anything. And it still works. And I kept it because, you know, I think I need to have this in my life. I need to be able to get out. And uh, when I get on there, I got to tell you, every time I get on there, I'm like, Jesus, please don't let me get hurt. <laughs> please don't let me get hurt because I'm old. And you know when you get old, when you, when you crash, it really hurts. When you get up, uh, uh, when you're young, you say, oh, yeah, okay, and you move on. But like when, it, oh, man, that hurts, you know? So I get on that thing, and Jesus, protect me. And then, you let her rip, man. And uh, it's not like my son letting her rip. It's like 47-year-old letting her rip. And you jump a little, and you pop a few wheelies, and you get in the mud a bit, 
And uh, you go, yeah. I st- that adrenaline rush still feels like it's there a little bit, and I got to keep, uh, keep it going. You know, it was two years ago, just came to me. Um, I was on a hike, and I was telling you all about that in a sermon up above my house. And, uh, uh, on the, and I was bummed because I always walk up there, and they were, uh, they were changing it into a bike trail. So it's not this nice little quaint hike up there above by the cross, you know? And it occurred to me, just like this, you need to get a bike. You need to get a bike. And you need to go up there and you need to do this. And uh, uh, so I got a bike. I did. I got a bike. And, uh, um, and I actually just crashed on it last week. And it, and it really hurt. But I'm doing it. I'm doing that. And I, you know what? I feel like I'm alive. Yeah. Spiritually, that's how we ought to be operating. Spiritually, Jesus, what could we do? Dream big prayers, prayers that are so big that you don't even know how it could possibly happen. And then, you know what he'll do? He'll even make you step into it before it happens. Without certainty that it will. Put your hand on somebody and go uh, and pray for their healing. And I can really look like a dork when it doesn't happen. But here I am, Lord, because I believe you want to do that. I'll, I'll go there. I'll say yes to this. Man, don't you feel the, the life right there? That's what we, we got to practice that. The Christian's life, the Jesus follower's life, ought to be a series of decisions that do that. And you know what happens when you do that? The kingdom happens, actually, when you do that. That's how it will happen. No way you can get bored. No way you can get bored. And if you are bored, I would challenge you to just kind of, maybe your window's short, step out, step off. God, what could we do? What does it look like for me to bring your invisible kingdom in a tangible way in this situation that I just saw? You do that, and you're going to start to feel alive. You're going to start to feel the reality of it, and you're going to like who you are. And what you become. And I got to tell you, you know, usually when I work on these sermons, I have a couple of weeks. Daniel has to crank them out. And he does an awesome job at that. But I get the, the, the luxury of having, or the pressure, I don't know which, but uh, of having three or four weeks to work on something. And what happens to me usually is uh, I'll be thinking and ruminate on it. And then uh, uh, something in my life or somebody I encounter or something about me or something about some relationship shows up and goes, oh, that's what it is. So I've got a personal, you've got to kind of live through it. Well, what's interesting, right now, actually, it's worked opposite. When I'm, I got this out, uh, the, the, these verses, or this portion of Scripture out from five years ago. Um, because I really felt in the orchard, we needed to have a culture of risk. We needed to be risk takers. And, uh, boy, if you look at some of the things we've done over the last five and a half years, um, We've captured the original DNA, I believe, of our founding pastor, Pastor Doug. Uh, One of the things that's critical to how this church was formed all the way back in the day was a robustness for change and courage. Those of you who were around here back then, remember, this church would do things nobody else would do. And then, uh, um, in my role as lead pastor was to capture the original DNA of the church and express it in this day, in this way, in our way. 
And we've taken a bunch of risks. The orchard looks completely different, I think, than it did uh, even five and a half years ago. And uh, uh, I don't have a story that came after the sermon. I have a story that is explained by the sermon, actually. Um, God has been doing an interesting thing with me. Now, that what we're going to tell you about, the big news today, is that uh, God has called me to step out, be a risk taker, taker and uh, uh, actually I'm going to um, resign from my position as lead pastor, which I've been doing for six and a half years, and I've been at this church for 20 years, and uh, uh, take a position in Steamboat Springs, my hometown, at a church that's just cranking there. And my dad always said, uh, uh, success is getting to do more of what you're good at. And uh, uh, that particular church, right where it's at, uh, could really, I think, or they think, could use what I'm good at. And so it's like a huge risk for me to, and I'm 57, I don't know about you guys, but at this age, you're not actually making these decisions. In this line of work, they don't actually hire 57-year-olds. But God opened up this opportunity, and, uh, and um, it was a challenge to be called into it. But it's very exciting. It's very exciting. And i got to tell you, what's interesting about that is that the orchard is the most awesome place ever. Matter of fact, if you're a lead pastor, you want to be a lead pastor at this church because this church is cranking. Uh, what's happening at this church, I'm so excited. I mean, I've never been more filled with vision for what this church will be and what this church will do. I, I, in my mind, I can see us reaching thousands of people who will be personally transformed and even shalom in the valley where we, the valley is transformed and life in the valley is different for everyone because of what God has done through the orchard. So it's really weird. There is nothing wrong. I very rarely have a point in my life where actually everything is great. And uh, where it's going, where, where I couldn't be more excited about the people I'm with. And yet God says, you know what? I am calling you. If you're going to follow me, you can't stay where you are. And, uh, uh, and so in three weeks, um, I'll no longer be your lead pastor. And Daniel will be a lead pastor, uh, which will be great. It's your time. He's going to be great. The elders and Daniel will tell you more about that as that unfolds. I couldn't be more thrilled to see you take it over and be great with it. You all know that's going to be great. It's going to be the best transition any church ever had. It'll be seamless. Matter of fact, uh, I, don't, I think the orchard is going to be a greater place as a result of it. And I can't wait to watch. And I'm excited about what I'm going to do. Weird. Crazy. Okay, Lord. Because, you know, uh, I got uh, at this place, in this church, my best friends are here. We've been here 20 years. People that, that I love and love me, who take a bullet, you know, are here. My kids, uh, my adult children, two of them actually attend this church. How much is that a dream that your kids like your church that they grew up in and want and to, I guess that's happened for you, huh? Yeah. It's like a dream. I mean, Morgan, my oldest, is here, and my youngest. Uh, and, uh, man, we're going to be leaving um, our adult children who are thriving in this place. And, uh, and I've and I, and I got to tell you um, that uh, my passion for, for the orchard is huge. And yet, God calls me to step out and step into it. And uh, hard decision, but 
You know, Gwen and I, uh, Gwen, my wife, is not here right now. She is in Boulder, literally taking a final. Uh, she's working on finishing her degree at CU, and I don't know, but they do finals on Sunday um, morning. And so we were two weeks ago, um, it was coming down to, Lord, what is it? Okay, really? Uh, and the only thing, besides leaving all of you that we love, um, which is huge, that was really a, 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 a difficult thing, is everything related around security. Now, you older folks, you might know, like when you're 57, you're kind of thinking about how this ends. You know, and, and uh, I mean, I don't really think there's retirement in God's economy, but there comes a time when you all stop paying us to do it. And then you're figuring out how do you do it after that, you know? And uh, so you're trying, to, in your last fourth quarter, you're trying to uh, sock as much away as you can so that you'll be able to do that. And uh, so as we were talking, I go, you know, Glenn, everything that seems to be a real roadblock for me is related to security. And, uh, um, and I'm not sure that's who I want to be. And then it just occurred to me, what would we do if we were 30? Well, when you're 30, uh, no offense to you 30-year-olds, but you'll do whatever, right, without uh, really thinking it all the way through. But when you get older, it gets harder because you think it all the way through. And uh, but what would we do if we were like that? And I just was, I think it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, actually, it's kind of weird. Uh, the Holy Spirit can use Frank Sinatra. And I said, um, yeah. I said, well, Siri, play young at heart. And Gwen and I were at the table, uh, kitchen table, and uh, uh, Frank started to sing. And I, I took her hand, and we just danced in, in the kitchen. So I thought I'd get a young crooner to sing there. Perfect. Here is the best part, that you can have a head start if you are among the very young at heart. Now, you may be young, and you may be jumping over things and flipping over that and climbing up this and feeling the adrenaline rush of all of that. Boy, I would challenge you to step into that spiritually and live like that spiritually with Jesus. And if you uh, are, are a little older, a little wiser and all of that, finding yourself kind of uh, uh, in a place where it's not alive and vital, when you take communion right now, this is an invitation into an adventure What's so beautiful about every sermon we do ends with communion because it ends with Jesus no matter what we've talked about because it ends with Jesus and it starts with Jesus and he says come here there's a table for you and I there's a table for you and I say yes to the adventure that he has for you and you and you and enjoy the ride.